This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Bruh. It's forced to fill up on the track. Yo, I didn't think about it this way before. But when I stopped casting Brainstorm, I realized all you players are junders. You're just a bunch of junders, bro. Two for ones and top decks. Green Sun Zenith prospects. Well, if you don't cast Thoughtseize turn one, then I don't want to hear no chat about blunders. You players are junders. Lilies and bobs and oozes. Tomagoyt bruises. Colagons command chooses. Discard Shatterer Toofers, Disentomb Endurance, Punishing Fires Lupin, and you losing cause we him into Tarak, so you're playing off the top, Cascading always goes for broke, Lightning gonna hit you with the smoke, these raids are flapping off your blood, Tap 4 we cast a Dracula, collect another trophy, assassinate you when we play Enchantress, we back to nature, so pay a life you fucking coward, flex your grip like it's full of power, forget the student, get your racket, master losers just keep attacking, who cares if Uro blanks your deck, we're in too deep to course correct, we're some availed, we'll cling the dust, curse the cup all the way, Lily does. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying to you just yet, but if you ain't cast and brainstorm, then you gotta keep the fucking pressure on them. Jund will fuck up DNT, wrath the board, pernicious deeds. They'll rebuild what we're engineering, explosive side of clearing. But please don't try to go recruit and last hope will smack it and abuse it. This is madness. Stay to push, commit war crimes, George W. Bush. Bruh, I get it, all the good cards are in blue. And Merc Tide is an absolute fucking beating. But if you don't cast Lord Seas turn one, then I don't want to hear no qualms about dragons. Pyro blasting, fuck escaping Uro and his dumb play patterns, surgical extraction, call his game for James Madden, tough acting to acting, and now we're gaining some traction by dashing in Ragavan the Goat, casting cards off the deck, and if they be playing blue, then they'll show us some respect. We used to play the cards, they traded one for one, but then they changed the bar and that was undone, and now the black cards were unplayable, but we jumped so hard we're unassailable, uh. Hello and welcome to Eternal Dirtles. I'm your host, Zach Clark, and with me as always, Phil Blackman. Phil, how's it going, man? Yo, what's going on, dude? I have received my Altered Council's deliberation. Oh, so yeah. All the, all, all, all the people telling me your your your, your take on Bowmasters is trash, Phil Narset exists, <laughs> Hull Breacher exists, Phil, the One Ring Zach. exists and is just better. <laughs> I'm drawing cards. I'm going to lose doing it, but I'm I'm going to draw some cards. And, yeah. and I'm not going to be dissuaded otherwise. We just recorded the Bowmasters episode, and that was that was a secret hit. Like, I was really surprised that people were that adamant about either side of that debate. We wanted to take it down a notch and just talk about the One Ring. <laughs> take it down a notch. I'm not interested in taking I'm, I'm I'm trying to go. I'm, I'm trying to go up to 11, Zach. All the feedback that I got on people being like, Phil, your, your take on Bowmasters is trash. Am I wrong? Am I wrong though? Am yeah, I, I mean, though? I'm just the guy in the hot dog outfit trying to find out who did this, guys. Yeah, you're. Fa- <laughs> 
I think your favorite 80s song is All I Need is a Miracle, right? By Mike and the Mechanics. I, I do think it is it is funny that, uh, you know, it is true that we are still very much in the early stages of Bowmaster, and it, it was definitely getting a lot of heat. I was remarking on our last episode, for those who haven't listened to it yet, good in literally everything. Like, it, it, it's good in every every shell that you'd want it in. Combo, aggro, control, mid-range, mid-range combo, mid-range control, mid-range tempo, whatever. Like, it is just good everywhere yeah. because it is flashable, and there's no part of that card that is soft. Yeah. So, you know, maybe in design, maybe all cards shouldn't do all of the things all the time in every archetype. Maybe that's just not good. Turns out everybody was like, Phil, how could you say that Bowmasters needs to get banned? And I was like, I never said that it needed to get banned. I don't think it should get banned. I think it's totally fine. I just yeah. think that, like, it's maybe not all great. There what is, is it, some downside. Uh, they, you know, they say using all the buffalo. I think they use all the cardboard for that one. Uh, Literally you know, all the cardboard. All, every they, they, part of the cardboard. Any any part of the card they could have like tweaked <laughs> slightly to make it so that it wasn't good in actual everything didn't. at all times. <laughs> like it's good early, it's good late, it's good in every archetype. The splash is easy, but like, hey, it brings black into the foray as a fair color, and we're we're seeing the the fruits of that. And we're going to talk about another card today that is is starting to find its way into yep. some legacy <laughs> shells. People are experimenting with it. Obviously, Bowmasters has taken the brunt of the post Lord of the Rings release into legacy as like the new card du jour and it's been popping up everywhere it's been having results it's going to be with us for a long time controlling a lot of tables today we're going to talk one ring and yeah. uh the spots where it has shown up the, the spots where i think well, i guess we're going to talk about where that where it's going to exist in homes long term and then where it's sort of just been a flash in the pan as people experiment yeah. we would be remiss if we didn't say how much this card saw play in the modern pro tour at barcelona it did you know the only reason that that deck that that the one ring isn't being widely considered Considered by everybody in the in the sphere of of the modern format for banning is is just because Calcano didn't take home the the trophy. If that if, yeah. if those cards shuffled up slightly differently, everyone would be like, "Yo, this card's got to go." You know, there's a problem, and there are plenty of people talking about that. To that end, it's a very powerful card, and I think that I think that. Uh, it behooves us to look further, dig deeper into legacy because of how much power this card's seen in in mod. Yeah, there, I've seen talk about you know ring getting banned, and anybody at SCG Baltimore can tell you I was singing the praises of of the one ring and about how crazy that card is going to be. It has proven itself in modern objectively. There was talk about it's going to get banned in modern. I think that knowing that there's going to be an additional Lord of the Rings release with a couple of new cards in the fall, it, it, there was a magic release no, video late, about where they said November, their future. Yeah, there will late be November, a, so like, a holiday offering. 0% chance that they ban a card from the Lord of the Rings Not set the before the next the set. Come the, on. the marquee card of the set before <laughs> they release new product during the holiday season when they just had a down quarter. Get the fuck out of here. No, no, no chance they ban that card. Should it be banned? Maybe. Probably. Will anybody miss it? Probably not. You know, it's and probably we're talking good about, should it Should it and maybe will it be banned in modern? In no modern, one cares yeah, yeah. about modern that much, I, I have to say. I don't. The amount that people care about legacy and if they think Bowmasters is going to get banned in legacy, if people People think that they're going to ban Bowmasters out of their minds. Wizards does not care enough to to hurt their profit margin on on a. It is the second most sold set ever. They're not going to hurt their it's on, chances. It's on its way to becoming the most sold set. So they're they're just slowly working on on having that become the best set that's ever happened for Magic. They're not going to ban anything from it. Uh, in any format, 
no matter how one-sided that format becomes until after it's out of print. Also, 0% chance that Bowmasters get the action. Yeah, zero, Not a shot. Zero. zero actual, actual, factual zero. I don't know Modern well enough, but I've seen a lot of talk about people wanting Splinter Twin. Sure, Splinter Twin's probably fine. It's not a turn four format anymore. That whole like thing that they set up went out the door immediately when they printed Modern Horizons. They, like I've seen some people clamoring for uh, Birthing Pod to come unbanned. Imagine if you're, if you, let's say you were playing Legacy, right? They were like Survival of the Fittest is unbanned in Legacy. Would you lose your mind? Would, I, would we all lose our minds? Is it probably fine, or is it probably like oh, I, this is a problem now? I'd be like, I'm only upset about this because it's so expensive. Please reprint I think, it. I think there's probably something to be said that it is too powerful to have a card that puts your entire deck in your hands guaranteed every turn. Close things are like Green Sun Zenith, but you have to use Green Sun Zenith and you have to draw another copy. Yeah. You untap with Birthing Pot or Survival of the Fittest every turn. So like for two mana in terms of survival or three mana for Birthing Pod, you just get to have access to your entire deck every turn. Imagine if every card in your deck was a fetch land, but, but instead you could get threats. Like, But like, it's not necessarily a why we should or shouldn't ban survival episode, ban or unban survival, I should say. But I just don't think that it's, it's on the power level of like a deck that would be playing survival is as powerful as any deck playing show and tell you know like i i I imagine that our understanding of not having gone too deep into what a current iteration of survival looks like is probably a limiting factor on our creativity to break it I think if we like devoted ourselves for two weeks to even come up with anything close well, to resembling what a legacy very, survival finish deck would look like. It's very legal in vintage, you know, like people, people it's, are out but, there but, doing things the, with it. The incentives in vintage are just so much different from the incentives in true, legacy. True. The There's difference much between all of that fast mana, the, the, the aggro decks in that format are bizarre and actual factual hardcore as souped up initiative as you can get. The closest thing to that in legacy right now is as an aggro deck is probably still what initiative and maybe some form of grit tempo yeah right it's it's just like it's just not they're just not the same playing field like that format still has dreadheart arcanist and oko and ragaban all as legal as four ofs if you want them like oath is in that format like the the the, the way the things that you have to combat in the format are just starkly different yeah. you also have to dedicate like nine sideboard cards at minimum to bizarre alone all that being said unbanned library of alexandria in legacy you fucking cowards no. i'm ready to draw up to eight cards Look. my guy Look, my my unban this you cowards is mana drain. Come on. If you unban mana drain, I'm not even going to be like, oh, good job on you. You you figured it out. No, no, no. There's no risk to mana drain. Well, There's there a is risk now a little the bit. One ring exists. Ah, get out of here. The one, the, like, uh, the, the, I, I, I think the difference of the power level in, in modern one ring versus legacy one ring. Legacy one ring, there's a bunch of ways that you can interact with it in, in ways that are more powerful than you can necessarily in modern. In, in, in legacy, you, in the control decks, Narset is everywhere. Bowmasters is everywhere. Piffing Needle is in every single Urza Saga deck. Yeah. If you need to point stuff at, you know, actual hard permanent removal literally i was playing unexpectedly absent this past week like these are just even off the beaten path cards like that are just not available in modern the closest things that you have in that format are is stuff like what leyline ending, ending and, and you and, have to be playing well, a five color deck but but even then it's like <laughs> yeah. if you're sorcery speeding your prismatic ending that's one thing but like the premier removal in that format outside of i guess prismatic ending is leyline binding and yeah. leyline binding is a permanent which means that you know opposing to fairies bouncing yeah. opposing leyline bindings catch opposing leyline bindings and so you know the ring just you know flips back onto the table and then just restarts itself where it's in, in legacy it's just a, i think a lot easier to get rid of because you have access to a bunch of other cards and you also have free counter magic you have force of negation in modern but that's not necessarily playable in every deck you actually have a blue base in legacy that can support a bunch of other decks and so you just have access to more counter magic and ways to catch it on the stack that isn't available in modern i, I think the one ring is a lot more tame in legacy don't get me wrong of, 
of the four drops that you can play is probably outclassed only by Minskin Boo. And yeah. I think that's only because it doesn't affect the board. Like it, get, it lets you untap because you have protection for a turn. But the fact that like Minskin Boo, if you're in the colors to cast it, lets you attack down opposing planeswalkers. It lets you clock. It's also card advantage. Like the ring lets you draw three cards after you've untapped with it, even though you are untouchable for a turn, right? Because you tap it once when you cast, after you've cast it, and then you untap, take a damage, and then draw two more. So you've ancestral. Whereas if you untap with Minsk, and then sack the boo that's four cards yeah. so like i think on rate minsk is just a, a, a far ways ahead of the ring but the one ring is colorless and so it can fit exactly. into a bunch more homes yeah. particularly in ancient tomb homes granted the trade-off of life but like i think that's a good preamble for talking about the decks that it's that it's seeing play in because one yeah, of the first true. decks we, we want to talk about is is four color control yeah and specifically even more so about even though the one ring is in four color control or i mean in some numbers i actually think the big innovation to four color control is delighted halfling because yeah. like way more than more so than the ring i think like the ring is just uh taking the limelight away from delighted halfling which is actually the the star player that's been added out of the set for four color control and i, I had a uh an epiphany recently i'm the miracle guy i never leave the the archetype because i'm dedicated to it and i refuse to let it go because it's a constant puzzle that i'm trying to solve but i've recently adopted play testing days in miracles to see how it would play and when i say yeah. miracles i mean like counterbalance you know control the top of my deck miracles what i found is you know days wasn't always good but there were spots where it shined and saved me games that I otherwise lose. And I'm still testing it on, I'm still playing things, but it's not that the power level of days is what has surprised me testing with it outside of a wasteland deck. The thing that has surprised me about it is it lets me interact through development in ways that no other cards would. The format I feel like has sped up in such a way that if you aren't able to interact sooner and by a sooner, I mean like a full turn cycle faster than what we're used to yeah. a year ago. That you just get steamrolled and then are on the back foot until the game is over and you just are trying to recoup for the lost time. And it's cards that don't affect the board that like, you know, classic cards like Predict and stuff like that. And I think that's where Predict failed in post-EI ban yeah. is that it didn't, because it didn't affect the board and wasn't card selection, right? It's just raw cards, but you're trading time for raw cards. And that's time that the format as it currently stands, just does not allow for. Me testing out days, it wasn't that days was strong. Getting to interact in development was strong. Like I get to develop and interact. I have to do both simultaneously in order to not be on the back foot for the entirety of the game. And every other deck is just zooming way past development in ways that are really meaningful. Either through the fact that all of the threats in Delver are way more powerful than they used to be. They're not just vanilla creatures the way Delver is, yeah. where you're like, okay, my life total is under duress. No, it's like there is significant card advantage under duress that matters because then you're going to be way too far behind. Similarly, all the Ancient Tomb decks are just built on the fact that they get to skip development. That right? That's the, the whole idea. point. It's the yeah. whole point of Soul Lands. <laughs> Urza Saga is pound for pound way better than anything else in terms of like creating power plus answers and tutors and whatever. So all of the, the Ancient Tomb Urza Saga decks speed through development. The Stompy decks are in that category as well. And so the control decks have to be able to interact faster than they used to. They can't just use their life totals resource anymore. The games end a lot faster. I think that for four color, adopting Delighted Halfling is essentially their means of being able to speed through development so yep. now they have a turn one play that lets them skip from one to three and by going from one to three and then uro gets them up to four and five so now they're casting five mana potentially five mana spells or four mana spells with backup on their turn three that and with uro is... it's days protection too because now you're casting minskin boo and you have it you have that fifth land in play 
And so the combination between delighted halfling, Uro to make sure that, so like if they don't deal with a delighted halfling, the Uro is 100% going to get through on the stack, which means that it's at least going to convert a card, most likely a land drop and blank an early combat step. And now we're in the range where you get to start slamming your snowball-y haymakers that run away with the game by themselves if they're unchecked. And so you're not in a position where you're like forced to slam, get caught by free counter magic. Now you're way behind on tempo because they traded zero mana for three to four mana and you have to just claw back and you may not have the proper card in the right sequence at the time and you're not a lot of the time to cantrip to find the right answer necessarily so delighted halfling not only speeding you through development but then also letting you get to ignore the stack means that the combination between that and teferi time raveler really stresses your opponent's counter magic in ways where it's probably going to be dead for a majority of the time because now you don't just have four ways to remove to, to blank their counter magic. You have eight, and then post board, how are you supposed? Are you supposed you you are compelled to leave in your removal for delighted halfling if you expect to have your counter magic if you're playing counter magic interact with them on the stack at all? You can't let their delighted halfling stick because yeah. it will just for one mana not only ramp them their mana but also blank a card, which means that the delighted halfling not only got them to development but also at least traded because it blanked your counter magic, and that's significant, right? Like that 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 is an inherent card advantage so i think that like even though the deck is playing is playing some number of the one ring the actual innovation is delighted halfling and it's just not as flashy as one ring is the funny thing is is that delighted halfling lets you cast the one ring with impunity too because it's legendary am, am i wrong here like it, it no, is, no, it is it, legendary permanent right it is legendary permanent you can one yeah, legendary do that. spell it's not even legendary permanent it's legendary spell so like you and, know if you want to cast isildur's uh fateful strike you can do that so the the interesting thing about the four color control deck that, that plays the one ring is is because because Delighted Halfling is there, this this deck basically just completely puts the opponent on the back foot based off of th- this particular version we're looking at is only playing one Minskin Boo and, and three rings. But you've got fourth Aralingus as as a kill card. They're playing like a one of Terminus. And it looks like they're pretty much leaning pretty heavily on, on Uro as, as their final kill card. You know, fourth, of course, is is very good and probably does win them a lot of games. But this is a this is pure value deck. This is this is the most this is the most like tap out control style deck that I think I've ever seen in the format. The more snowbally powerful cards we get like this, the more I find that it's sort of disingenuous to be calling these decks control. Yeah, it's, they, this they, is tap out mid range, right? Yeah, it's really just like slamming the best. It, 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 it's way closer in my mind to pile than it is to control. Like it's just the best cards yeah. on rate. And then all those cards win the game by themselves if they're unanswered. And as they're experimenting now with the One Ring, I mean, at a certain point, the One Ring has drawn enough cards. Like, if you untap with it twice, like, the game is just over. Like, you're up six cards. You you know, your opponent still has to deal with the threat on the table, plus whatever has been developed after the fact. Yeah, I mean, think about how many times times your opponent has had the the Monarch for two turns, and you're like, I guess this is over. if you untap twice with the one, One Ring and then still have it on the table, imagine the number of times that your opponent has activated Grizzlebrand once and you've won. It just doesn't, it, that's, that's just not the world that we live in that you get to survive that kind of exchange, right? It's six cards for three life as opposed to seven cards for seven life. Either way, you're dead. It has imposed their decision-making to include four Teferi so that they can bounce the one ring and recast it if they need to so they don't yep. die to themselves, to their yep. own ring. The same way that you're incentivized to play more Minskin Boo with more Minskin Boo, you're incentivized to play more one rings with more run, one rings because you yeah, want to be able exactly. to cast the second to remove the first. In my view, depending on what the format is, if we were in a vacuum and I was say, if somebody asked me, hey, Phil, how would you build four color control, you know, or four color pile, you know, whatever the, the deck name would be. I would start at four Minsk. I think that like, I, I think Minsk on rate is the, the more versatile card in that like, it, it lets you take a more aggressive slant and it draws more cards pound for pound than the one ring does. And I think that planeswalkers are more difficult to deal with than 
artifacts are. It's another, this is all of, they used all the cardboard here card, you know? like It's it's harder to deal with a planeswalker in play. I get, I get that you can attack it, but one ring can't remove opposing walkers. One ring needs the follow-up in order to kill the opponent. Now, granted, you'll have all the resources in the world, but like Minsk doesn't ask anything else of you except mana. One ring can't actually kill the opponent by itself. Like, yes, you know, in, in, in essence it is, but you actually do need the other thing that says I win. Hence, yeah. they're playing, you know, at least a singleton Minsk or they're playing the fourth Aerolingus where it's like, okay, after I've drawn a bajillion cards, if you haven't conceded yet, I just have this, you know, fat fireball sitting in my deck so I can close the door. They do need the actual win condition in their deck to say, I win the game on it. Correct. And I think that like Minsk doesn't ask you to do the second thing. Minsk getting to go in in sequence. Let's say if you delighted Halfling into Uro and now we're in the range where you just start slamming your four drops, you can go one ring, draw, draw into one ring and then just start snowballing advantage. That way you're 100% going to win the game. But if you go Uro, if you go Halfling into Uro and then start Minsking them in back-to-back turns, Minsk hits them for four, then hits them for seven. So they've taken 11. Second Minsk then sacks them, hits them for seven and draws seven. This the sequence of- Whenever that happens, it's bonkers. It's 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 insane. It's bonkers, right? But like it also asks no, there's no additional mana beyond casting the Minsks. And if you had the mana to cast the first time around, you'll likely have, I don't know what could happen that you wouldn't have the mana to cast the second time around. And if you have Delighted Halfling, both of them would be uncounterable unless they deal with the Halfling. And if they're dealing with the Halfling, it means that they're not dealing with the blue that's killing them. Minsk cares about being able to sack the hamster in order to draw cards. And if you've dealt them four, seven, and then an additional seven, so you've dealt them 18, if they're somehow not dead, then you've also Grizzle Branded, and that costs you no life. I just think that like pound for pound, modern doesn't have Minsk and boo in the format if it did i don't know if everybody would be clamoring around the ring as heavily yeah. as they would i think they would just be playing minskin i mean we and- we were one of the first first people to call and this was back when when you know the set first came out everyone was everyone was just down on the set and i was like i don't know man minsk looks good I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think even you were like, you just bolt this card. I, I I would have to go back because I remember when I when the card was spoiled, I couldn't believe that they printed another card that was just like a recursive free threat every turn that then also drew a bunch of cards. I think your exact words were, and was removed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think I didn't calibrate that like Uro players just would just it adopt Uro. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, it, but, but I do remember being like, man, I'm, I do recall thinking to myself i'm gonna lose this card a lot because i was like okay so it's a recurring threat that is also removal and card draw all in one card and asks nothing of you after the fact that you other than casting it so the fact that it wasn't gated i i think i was like i i probably wasn't high enough on it to be like oh this is the most powerful walker in the format without oko in it yeah. uh but i don't think i had I, I don't think i was totally off of it because i was looking at it through the lens of a control player thinking how the fuck do i ever beat this card yeah which might have been different from you know no, other people yeah looking i, mean, at I it think like, i think you're, oh, yeah, I'm, if you're yeah. In, if you're in days wasteland bolt territory you're like whatever i'll daze it or i'll bolt it it's a four yeah. drop and i don't give a shit i'm i'm doing things that are better than that is but i mean i think, I think you're a good enough table, magic like, player to, to to uh when we're evaluating these sets to not just evaluate them through the lens of will this beat miracles or not you know yeah i, I, I mean i'm sure of that the stuff just stands out to me more and yeah. like I, I i'm acutely aware of like oh this is just recursive card draw for free I, it, like anytime something's not managated you know it's like oh fuck man like please just managate something literally anything please or or, or snowball like the fact that the, the the boo was free every turn but i remember there was we, we did distinctly talked about how there was the because it was a walker with an etb trigger that you could respond to and i think i definitely remember thinking that that was going to be a more a, a bigger deal than it actually is the the etb on trigger on the stack i feel like doesn't 
doesn't really come up as much for interacting with it. I think like yeah. it just sticks and you get it in more often than not. And I remember thinking like, oh, it's a walker with an ETB. We haven't really ever found that before when you oh, don't have the loyalty yeah. like to activate, to just get it out of bolt range. But it never really came to fruition that that was problemless. You were significantly on the back foot, in which case I don't think any four drop would have really saved you. So yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, oftentimes what happens is you're at that point of the game where like your opponent probably doesn't have a bolt in his hand anymore. He tried to bolt your halfling or he bolted Tefri to get Tefri off the board. What what you just remarked on, I remember, you know, it's like, oh, or they bolted your halfling. And I and, and I know that some people had, when talking about the four color list, we're talking, it's like, oh man, like halfling is sweet because like, you know, it is totally degenerate to go halfling into Teferi. But they were like, but we don't really want to open ourselves up to removal. And I was like, well, you're opening yourself up to like the non-white removal, right? Because in, if you're playing against Source of Plowshare, Source of Plowshare is going to clip the Earl anyway, even if it's at a, yeah. a card down. It's it's a man it's mana positive yeah so it's not like that is changing at all but you are opening yourself up to bolt and fatal push and the other stuff that you would otherwise not give a shit about but i think in this in similar ways of so back when ragavan was in the format i remember i sleeved up ragavans in control as just like it's a generically too powerful card not to yeah. play right what, what mattered was in other decks people would protect it and then try and ride it to the win right it snowballs by itself if you can protect yeah. it it's protect probably worthwhile to do whereas every time anybody spent any amount of cardboard removing it from my side of the table I was like fucking great and the reason for that is similar again back to the, the the discussion about like how do we get through development by having a one drop spell it meant that any amount of whatever removal they were doing they were trading at mana parity and it was also then spending their time in their development to remove the ragavan yeah. which means that I got to get so uh, like effectively I got an additional turn worth of time to develop because they wanted to deal with the ragavan you cast and a one so, red mana time walk so I cast a one yeah. mana spell that bought me enough time to get through development to then where my deck could actually do the thing that I wanted to do but i needed you know the time to actually get to my third land drop without being like so under under so much pressure that it was insurmountable and having a one drop play like that that they had to, that they were compelled them to answer and if it didn't then it just got you to development because it made the treasure that was like really powerful it was like if you don't answer it it's like you know objectively too powerful and i just get to make all this mana and get through my development anyway and if you do deal with it well that just bought me a turn and now i can get through the development now i actually get to play the game and i think halfling is gonna have has a, a similar effect like is it bad when it trades for you know a removal spell sure but like the whole function of your deck is I just want to start slamming four drops. Yeah. And if they spend their time using a resource to trade with your one mana resource, so you're trading at mana parity and just getting through development, that's fucking great for you because you're better in that in, in those positions. When you have mana, when you have like enough mana to cast your action, your action is just going to be better than anything else going on in the format. So like if we're at that stage in the game, that's where four colors should shine and like really close the door. So I think a halfling inadvertently solves its own problem because of the deck that it's in yeah. uh, for the reasons why you wouldn't want to play it in theory and abstract because the most fragile times for pile decks or control decks is the early game where they have to not die yeah. and if they don't die theoretically if you have cards and and mana you should win the game i think yeah that, like, so Deli i think delighted halflings here to stay yeah i think so we, i think we spilled enough ink on this particular deck but I think the Tildir yeah. here is Halfling is the power of this deck and not so much the One Ring. The One Ring is just like an, uh, an additional payoff that's not necessary to make the, the deck great. But, you know, getting getting that like buy a turn situation is, is great. But maybe this isn't the deck where 
the one ring shines its 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 brightest. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I mean, the one ring is very powerful, and like one hundred percent is a leg- is legacy power level for sure. Like without yeah. a doubt, like that's that's not a disputed point. I think in that particular archetype, Minskin Buu is probably just better for what the deck wants to do. Even if you have room for a split, like in in my view, I'm not going. I'm not adding one ring until I'm at four Minskin Buu. Okay, and then if I want more four drops, then I would add a ring. But I think Minsk is just pound for pound the more powerful card in that shell and should be leaned on more than the ring. But I think the other archetypes that we're going to talk about, I think ring actually shines pretty. One one final point more. about uh, about what you just said because I I want to uh, I, I'm pretty sure every one of the decks that we're looking at has at least three one rings in it. And I think that's the correct number if you're going to play any one rings, especially if you can recur them somehow. I think you need to reasonably find ways to get rid of the one ring with another one ring. Or if you're in a deck that reoccurs the one ring with like Emery or something like that, you just want that consistency. The next one we're looking at is playing four one rings and it is Turbo Shield Ring. So it's mm-hmm. a Shieldred, uh, the Apocalypse deck that plays the one ring. And I think this is one of the more powerful versions of the uh, of the one ring archetype. So there's a couple of things to be said about this list. It's, it, it is a blue-black list. Functionally, it's a mono-black list, right? I mean, it, it's playing blue yeah. for counter magic and the cantrip suite the only actual blue card that does anything is brazen borrower and that's just as a catch-all because black can't remove sometimes yeah sometimes you need but i i think in in this deck is playing playing three shield dreads and then it's playing all four one ring and on seven one drops the difference that this deck is using in order to get there is it's a four dark ritual deck and a three chrome mox deck yeah i mean and- you can turn one one ring somebody not to mention you could turn one shieldred and then and then follow it up with a one ring and so it's in this shell where it's like okay i think this is more of what a one ring home really should look like all of the fast mana like the fact that the ring is colorless and that you can it can be abused by fast mana looking at the one ring as more in the lens of a necro than of the lens of a jace the mind sculptor yeah. is the more powerful lens to view it through. Because it's colorless and can be abused with shit like Dark Ritual and all of the fast mana, getting that out earlier and then like just barreling cards, again, it's just blazing through development. The fast mana yeah. just gets it through development and slams the Haymaker. The entire format is just revolved around like we are not spending our time hitting our first two land drops. We are just out the gates the second the game starts. And this is just another example of that. Point to make about all these decks is all of them are skipping development in some way to make sure that they get the one ring out yeah be it ancient tomb or dark ritual or delighted halfling the the format as a whole post lord of the rings the one thing that seems to hold true across every deck that's like seeing success is that they're all skipping development in some meaningful way outside of like a couple of outliers that are even the control decks you know pile or whatever have to adapt in some way to be faster because all of the stuff hits a lot harder or accrues or or, uh, accrues advantage a lot faster than before uh, Lord of the Rings came out. This deck is falling into that same vein. Three Chrome Mox, four Dark Ritual. It's on three Shieldred with four of the One Ring. If you pair those together, I mean, the uh, Shieldred... You just get it. Like, you don't win the game, but you'll never lose the game to the One Ring. What we were talking about before where, like, the One Ring compels you to have the second thing in your deck. Shieldred is that second thing, but it also, while also being the thing that kills your opponent simultaneously removes the drawback of the one ring so you just yeah. bury your opponent and then all you have to do from that point is protect the shieldred after you've drawn a bunch of cards if they remove the ring the shieldred's still the thing that's de facto killing them exactly the, yeah. the, the ring is just effectively killing them and chances but, are they have another shieldred by that point because they just drew like seven cards you know either way they they, they have to remove both and th- this is it's it's a four force of will two force of negation two thoughts he's grief deck that's also playing some a, a spell pierce and a drown in the lock good fucking luck trying to get through any of that 
if yeah. like either of those threats have stuck. I'd rather see a Shieldred across the table from me than the One Ring because you know the, there, there's just more answers in the main board to a Shieldred. But you know if you're playing a Caracas, a Caracas will remove it at no drawback. Any amount of removal uh, that actually deals with it. I mean, I'm a Swords to Plowshares player, so like I don't fear it nearly as much as I do the One Ring. What well, I want to see across the board for me as an eight cast player for sure. If you were to compare this One Ring deck versus the four color One Ring decks, this I think is just taking advantage of what the One Ring does faster. Like if you were to look at this deck, yeah. right? Just imagine that the One Ring was four Necropotence instead. Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. Exactly. If you just look at that list and just swap those two cards out, you'd you'd be like, oh, this deck would function identically the same. Everything well, that's almost. going on in this you deck would be the, the same. You wouldn't get the uh, uptick in life from the from the uh, Necropotence because you're not. No, no. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Like if Necropotence were yeah. unbanned and it showed up in this shell, I can't imagine you, yeah, that any of the 75 would really change. You know, in the first month after it's unbanning. You know what I mean? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline funny so we've been talking about this deck for the last 10 minutes and we haven't even mentioned that they're playing for bowmasters as well which is funny if you're you're black you're bowmasters is the least interesting the least interesting card in this deck actually i think it's the least interesting card in that it doesn't do anything else with any of the other cards it's it's just here on rate like it's just the best card at two on rate like you're gonna want to play four because it's you're playing a black deck and it's cheaper than shieldred but it is basically your Shieldred's four through seven. Yeah, it's it, it's just the best card on rate. It, it, it seems like the the least interesting card because you can see every other card has a specific role in what the yeah. deck is trying to do between its two uh, payoff four drops. Shieldred and One Ring are both support are supported by everything else in this deck. Exactly. The cantrips on your turn one ensure that you can stick one of them on turn two. Your fast man ensures that you can get them on turn two. Your counter magic protects them. The thought sees and the destruction clears the way. Brazen Borrower is just a catch all answer to you know if your opponent resolves a turn one chalice that you can remove it so you can actually play the game so it's it's actually just a, a, a you know part of the disruption suite whereas bowmasters isn't part of a disruption suite it's just on rate so it doesn't look like it's the flashiest card but at the same time it's like it it, it fills out the rest of the deck it's just yeah, like it's just being a okay, role player you know. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's totally fine. Well, one thing that I want to point out, I want to quickly point out post-board, I've been seeing a lot more of this, and I don't know if it's people are respecting Painter a lot more, but it has an Emrakul, the Eon's Tone, in the board. I'm seeing a lot of Emrakuls in the board these is that, days, dude. What, is that from what? for uh, against a deck that's going to mill you out i have only ever played it in the board because i don't want to get milled and sure. if i'm if, if, if i'm getting pain or grindstone and i have this in my sideboard uh-huh. like, yeah, they, yeah, they, they need to at that point if you know that you have the ember cool in the deck then the only thing that you need to fight over is anything that could remove it when they mill you and then if yeah. they can't search it, so it's like and whatnot yeah 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 so it's like if you fight over you know the the soul guide lantern or you know whatever their their graveyard hate of choices if like you can fight over that between your counter magic and your discard spells then they can never actually mill you and you just cut off that access to win if you look at a combo deck and how to combat a combo deck all of these decks have whatever handful of axes that they can actually win on a good way to combat those is you're like if i know how i'm supposed to line up my cards to ensure yeah. that each access that they could defeat me on is cut off the classic example is you know you're playing against storm 
They have the ad nauseum line. They can tutor chain line. They have the past in flames line of old, right? And it's yep. like, if you cut off the graveyard, they can no longer pass in flames. So they're now stuck to have to tutor train or ad nauseum. If you start checking their life total, the ad nauseum line is cut off and now they have to go through the graveyard or they have to tutor chain. If you ensure that like they don't get off the ground and you disrupt their mana, then they can't tutor chain. They're going to have to get off a, a, an anemic ad nauseum or go through the graveyard. If you if you just knew that you're like, oh, these are the axes that I have to cut them off on. And if I can cut them off individually, yeah. then I can focus my other tools on the other two axes. And that's how you can attack those decks. This is a similar strategy where it's like, if I know the Emrakul's in my deck, the, the mill line is is shut off when we present our decks. And then yeah. all I need to do is is focus my disruption on stuff that would interact with that. And then as long as I don't lose to the beatdown and you have three Shieldred and a bunch of one rings in your yeah, deck, you like, should be they're okay. not beating you down. Yeah, yeah, then you should be all right. Yeah. It's it's pretty funny, uh, just blanking like eight cards out of a deck that is is you know the, the that combo deck. So yeah, let's and, talk and about. Don't, don't get me wrong, like uh, a painter deck can beat an Emrakul. Like it's not the first oh, time yeah, that yeah. it's had to do that. But yeah. you know, so let's talk about the Codalus combo, which was played to a, a four three at the Buffalo Chicken Dip. But it's got some interesting cards like Patchwork Autom- Automaton, Kanaptek Scarab Swarm, which we don't see online ever because it's not online yet. And that card, that card is starting to, to get recognized as an actual powerful spell, like being both the destroyed- against a uh, graveyard decks and then also presenting like a bunch of you know lingering souls just a ton like, that's, dude, that's not yeah. nothing I, I don't exactly know what the combo is here so i'm just kind of going through this deck but this is a, this is a deck that's really only playing one one ring which is pretty wild yeah this is much closer to like a steel stompy looking yeah. list between a couple of net assist and sculpting steels it has some disruption in tangle wire but I, I feel like either this was an evolution of the karn mystic forge deck that was that initially uh was put together after the one ring came out or it's a departure from it where you can see that they started shaving on those pieces to take a more aggressive slant yeah it looks like they're going on that more like you know they don't they're not playing ravager but they have this more ravager shops aspect of the deck than yeah it is a combo deck between urza saga and foundry inspector like it's very clear that they're like and and lodestone golem like they're they're much closer to a shopsy style deck where they're just trying to put very difficult thick beaters on the table i mean for patrick automaton is really a nod to that like yeah yeah i I mean automaton is like wow yeah if you when you're playing a a four ancient tomb deck i mean it's got three city of traders as well so if you like if we think about like if we're opening a seven with this style of deck you go turn one patchwork they are so far away from removing that card because of ward two that it's going to chunk them for significant damage. Like mm-hmm. you're a mono artifact deck. The entire deck it's yeah, 21 lands your, and what, then 41 one artifacts. Is, your turn one is going to be this guy's th- at least a 3-3. Three, three. You have all the Mishra's Bobbles. You have a uh, Lotus Petal, some Mox Diamonds, a Mox Opal, a bunch of singleton artifacts on for the Urza Saga. Beyond that, on your turn two, you can just go Grim Monolith into, into Sphere of Resistance, attacked even further, and they're already getting hit for four off of that line. You look at Patchwork as a one drop that they can never actually trade even on mana because of the ward. Like Patchwork does a lot of work and it lets you get out to a really, really aggressive start and then foundry inspector and lowstone golem just like follow up to continue to bring the beats and then urza saga is the best card in the format this deck being an actual aggressive slant the one ring is more of like a nod to being a a a strong card than anything else like it's a way to recoup but it's one thing that's not disruptive in this deck but it it does make me want to remark that the one ring did develop the mystic forge karn deck and explore that territory yeah i think that this is like anybody who wanted to play that deck I think this is actually the better option. Yeah, I this, think that the, and like they, playing playing Tangle Wires and Patrick Automatons just seems so sweet, right? And and considering this is two Tangle Wire, this isn't somebody. So this person isn't playing Tangle Wires to like lock you out of the game. This is Tangle Wire to 
to time walk you twice and chunk you for 12. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty wild deck, man. I think this is a way smarter way to take the Karn Mystic Forge deck than the Karn Mystic Forge deck. The Karn Mystic Forge deck, in my mind, is way too glass cannony in that, like, has to hope and pray that you get to slam a four drop. And if you do, you win. And if you don't, you lose. This deck, between the Urza Saga getting to interact, you actually have a clock. You can pressure in multiple ways. Foundry Inspector can speed up your clock out of nowhere, meaning it has pseudo haste. Can up tech? Can up tech? I'm never going to be able to pronounce that right. But, but the Scarab Swarm, like, like that's disruption. Lodestone yeah. Golem is disruption. Sphere of Resistance is disruption. Tangle Wire is disruption. Like Sculpting Steel becomes copies X through whatever of each one of these things. I mean, three Cavern of Souls to like push through the fact that all of your shit is constructs. Like this is yeah. just a really, I, I don't know if the numbers are correct, but like this is a really well-conceived list that has a clear intent of what it wants to do every game that it sits down at the table. And I can get behind it as like, if you wanted to be playing an Ancient Tomb City of Traders deck, I would get behind this one. Okay, shout out to uh, Eric Rakowski, because the next one is Doomsday. Doomsday yeah, with Eric, the One Ring. Eric, thank you for getting on uh, a, a, <laughs> an episode of Eternal Dirds and letting everybody know, understand how this deck actually functions. Yeah, to the One Ring in your Doomsday deck, and we're going to have to get Eric back on here. I mean, I, Eric, I know you're listening, bro. I know you're listening, bro. Chime in <laughs> and and tell us uh, what, what the point of the run, One Ring is here. If you're playing Dark Ritual, I think... You you get to have access to the one ring as a nice, easy way to just like bury your opponent on turn two if they don't have it. If you get to that point in the game where you're able to cast Doomsday and the one ring, like isn't the game just kind of over? Like the biggest, I I feel like, and I might be wrong, the biggest hurdle you face is a Doomsday deck. You just cut your life in half when you cast a spell. Will your opponent kill you next turn you know otherwise you could probably get there if you're getting to the point where you have seven mana and can cast both doomsday and the ring True. Like, you're you're winning that game anyway it's to the one ring so the one ring is not the plan but the fact that you're yeah. you're, you're playing two cabal ritual you have dark ritual in order to support the one ring like it's on three lotus petal as well it has all of the tr- disruption that you could imagine from uh, a force of will deck but what the other thing that i like is that you theoretically could you just chain uh, one rings out. after you doomsday I, i'm not a doomsday pilot so grand assault but like if I was sleeping up this list and I had Doomsday in, in, in my, my 60, I'm thinking to myself, if I can turbo a ring early, the ring is going to demand counter magic if they don't have it, right? And if they don't, and if they fight over it, yep. great, they're not fighting over Doomsday. So that's one thing to be said first. Let's say it sticks, right? Now you have protection. You get to untap and you could theoretically Doomsday and then work your way into your pile off of the ring as a free yeah. cantrip. Factoring that into how you could build a pile from going, okay, on my turn two, I'm going to Dark Ritual. I'm going to play one ring draw card. Untap. I'm going to play my third land, cast Doomsday. If I get it through, I'm now two cards deep into my pile because I can activate the ring. And yeah, I only well, have to draw three cards. That's enough for you to like, win most of the time. If, that's if enough for you can, to win. If you can draw two cards, you can probably get, get the rest out. So, Because generally what your pile is going to look like in, in that scenario is a cycler and the Lion's Eye Diamond. You play the Lion's Eye Diamond, right? You know, untap, draw the Lion's Eye Diamond, play it. And then you're like, okay, cool. I'll crack the Lion's Eye Diamond, mm-hmm. draw two cards now, because you've already drawn one with the ring that you already had out, right? Cycler, cycler, cycle, cycle. Okay, there are the other two cards of that five-card pile, right? Look at that. Cavern of Souls, Thassa's Oracle, I win. A nod to the uh, previous Shieldred deck we looked at. The three of uh, Shieldred, the Apocalypse, and the Sideboard. I mean, that's been Doomsday stock since yeah. Shieldred came out. You can sort of Take move a little out, bit away from the combo. In, yeah. You can move a little bit away from the combo to play a little bit grindier. And like between the One Ring and Shieldred, like it's a lot of four drops, but they work hand in hand. And you can see like this deck is respecting a, a bit, like the early game pressure out of the board. Uh, a singleton fatal push, but then also two gut shot. I mean, we are respecting the Bowmasters, are we not? Yeah. I mean, 
if, if you're playing two gut shot on the board, you fucking mean it. And the the <laughs> fact that like if you're going to be able to board into Shieldred you, and then like you clear out the more, early you, you spent pressure, hours like, thinking about that, and you were like, no, it's time, it's time to do it, dude. I when, when we were talking about before, where I was like, I was sleeping up days. I, I I consciously thought the same thing. I was like, am I supposed to be just playing gut shot so that I can I can cantrip to like develop early on and then still gut shot to like clear the uh, initial threat on the cheap so I can get through that time. It's like it's the same thing, man. I mean, this is a this is a combo deck. This uh, this deck doesn't need to get through development for this deck is personal tutor for fucking doomsday so it doesn't need to go too too far but like it's it's part of the same deal so next i want to talk about what what for me is my favorite deck on this on this list 80 card blue black painter cast deck this is eight cast plus painter plus yorion plus orcish bowmasters like i'm gonna share something with you 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 want me to 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 share something yeah everything about this deck is sweet right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Two Tesseret Asian Abolus, fucking sweet. Yep. 80 card Yorion, like you said, sweet. Painter, sweet. A cast, sweet. All that said, fucking hate it, man. This thing is, it, it is. 80 card version of using all of the cardboard. <laughs> dude, it, it just, I get it's a lot of four ofs, but at the same time, it's it's a lot of four ofs without selection beyond Urza Saga, and it just feels unfocused. There's a singleton besides you in, who endures in your 80 alongside, I mean, you're, you're playing 80 cards, but you have one basic island uh, and four Spire of Industry because you're a blue black shell now. Don't get me wrong. This, this deck is doing a lot of powerful things. Everything powerful about A cast is in here. Karn the Grier creator gets a lot of free wins by itself. Having access to your entire sideboard as well. And then that stuff is that is stuff that you can loop with Emery. You know, fucking bonkers. But at the same time, I, I feel like this deck is beating up on all the decks. Like this is an example of the arms race. Yeah. You know, we all just need more powerful stuff. If we're if we're all doing the same thing, I just need to be, need to be doing more of it. And then I'll beat you because you're doing less of it. As much as yeah. I, I want to be inspired by uh, uh, looking at this list. And it's the first time that I've seen Tezzerin Agent of Bullets. And that card gets me hard every time I look at it. But <laughs> this is this for me of all the lists this one just ain't it because i i can't imagine opening my seven and having part ochre's bowmasters part emery and being like what am i doing what am i doing i'm just i'm that just doing the, things the, i guess you know that is the beauty of of a non-brainstorm deck phil is you you have to evaluate your your opener uh you know like you have to look Dude, at your I, deck get and be like, I, uh, I, I get it i get it man but like okay yeah this I, works. I, I i feel you i feel you but like if, if i open Karn the Great Creator next to Orcish Bowmasters. I'm I'm just gonna be like, what the fuck am I trying? What am I doing? I'm just a things deck, I, and I'm a things deck. I just, deck love, that, you know, I I just love everything about this deck. Like the, the uh, this is uh, Zoix on uh, MTGO, and this deck is just it's just so cool because there's so much going on. Let, there's let, some card count choices that I don't necessarily agree with, but I think the deck itself is massively cool dude let me caveat it's got three one ring it's doing all of the stuff but i mean it's got three painter servant because one gets to go onto the board for karn like yep. this person has definitely thought through a bunch of the different angles in order to get to these numbers but like we're in this space they're trading okay we're on three one ring so we can cut on thought monitor i get it but we still have two kappa cannoneer which is the same number that you had in your eight cast 60 we're at two side which is the same number that you had in your eight cast 60 i'm not sure why tesseret agent abolus is getting the the nod here over the fourth one ring or another thought monitor like i mean honestly i would take that out for uh for patchwork automaton but at the same time it's the coolest part of the deck so how are you supposed to cut how are you supposed to cut the coolest (laughs) part of the deck if you can't if you can't play agent of bullets right i mean if if you're if if you're gonna play four spire of industry we gotta play a tesseret agent of bullets in the list come on All right, final. This one, this one ain't for me. This ain't for me. Final deck, <laughs> same guy actually. This is uh, Zoix uh, again on MTGO with. 
four color Lorian ring control. So you get four mm-hmm. Lorian revealed in here. This is a deck to me that is right up your alley, Phil. It's basically splashing black just for Orcish Bowmasters, but you're you're rocking three one ring, which is where I think, like I said, that's where I think you want to be is is at three. The only thing that I look at here that I think like maybe they should think about is like you want a Tefri in this deck so that you can bounce your your one ring if you have to. I, I mean, this deck is doing it all doing all the control stuff this is this is the exact opposite of of the uh four color delighted halfling control deck because you're not playing green at all in this deck the thing that you're doing is is more the one ring and less and less minskin boots so you're on the same number of one ring i'll say that the this deck is a, a nice example of the iterations that people have been doing with uh lorian revealed uh lorian revealed has just been adopted as like an obviously playable card an instant speed uncounterable shuffle is just like really powerful i know you and i have joked a bunch on this podcast where I'm like, dude, if they tomorrow printed blue instant shuffle your deck draw a card playable yeah like i i would i would be i would be sleeping up a card like that right because the 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 access of being able to like ponder on turn one keep your best card and then shuffle away the chafe or brainstorm and then upkeep shuffle away the chafe without having to expend your fetch those types of like subtle interactions are really really potent in the spots where you can pull them off i mean i i understand where this deck is going i mean being able to artificially inflate your blue count with lorian revealed means that okay they're on 20 plus lorian plus a set of lorian which means you're way more likely to be able to hit your land drops now it's a three planes four island basics deck that's playing the lorian revealed so i'm not sure how we feel about that particularly also because it's splashing black and the the means that it has to get black is two underground c the fetches and the four lorian revealed so it has access to black but it's trying to lean on basics but then it's a four bowmaster deck that is only playing two underground c in order to suffice that black count going into the additional splashes prismatic ending already incentivizes that shit really hard i play a lot of prismatic ending um in three colors typically in, in order to be able to hit uh narset and teferi even though those are never winning lines the draw towards wanting to be able to splash the fourth color to be able to hit a karn or now a one ring or a minskin boot yeah. like it is a it is a, it is a the constant call of the temptation dark side for sure it is a, yeah. it is the call <laughs> to the dark side it is a constant temptation where you're like every time you lose to a four drop you're like if i had only splashed the additional color in order to maximize my prismatic endings maybe this game is different but then every time you do that you always get punished by wasteland and you're like why did i do this to myself it's the constant tension that prismatic ending applies to your deck building where you if anything less than three colors is a non-starter with prismatic ending anything not at four colors is not maximizing prismatic ending so we're just constantly in that back and forth this particular list i think like i would explore the lorian reveals even further but like the other parts of the shell i'm like a little bit iffy on two fourth aerolingus but only four ogish bar masters as your creatures i have tested a bunch of fourth aerolingus and i found that if you aren't playing a sufficient amount of creatures the potential that you lose the monarchy is pretty high if the fourth aerolingus isn't just used as a fireball if you are using fourth aerolingus or intend to use fourth aerolingus as a value card any point or in the early to mid game to like just make a body take the monarchy start going up a couple cards if you lose the monarchy and then are priced into a very subset uh, number of creatures in your deck in order to try and get it back they will be easier to fight over because they have no other targets for the removal and yep. it's just going to be really difficult for you to like break through to get that monarchy back and the monarchy snows snowballs really hard so you could end up losing a lot of games to the monarchy that you introduced you have to keep that yeah. in mind in fourth era in a fourth aerolingus control deck that's not focused on creatures or not biased a lot heavily towards creatures you know not to introduce the monarchy to the game if you don't have it you know effectively locked up or at parity and clearly pull ahead to the point where it's insurmountable this deck is also an example i i feel like it's it's playing bowmasters because it's the new fun thing and you know you you are incentivized to go to a fourth color anyway for prismatic ending so yeah. i think it's not 
starting at Bowmasters and then thinking, where do I go from here? Built the rest of the deck first and was like, oh, well, if I want the fourth color and I'm moving into black anyway, I might as well play Bowmasters because it's the most powerful thing to be doing in the format at the moment. And then in the board, I also get access to Plague Engineer to deal with opposing Orcus Bowmasters, which is really important right now. So Can we I, talk like, about the most rude card in this deck? Arid Mesa? No, Ruination. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. Look at the deck list, bro. It's a four island, three planes deck. Yeah, yeah. But it's just funny because it is a four-color deck that's like, ah, yeah, Ruination. Let Dude, let's be real. <laughs> this is not a four-color deck. This is a blue-white splash-red deck yeah, that, that actually to have wants black to play because Prismatic Ending lets you have yeah. it. And then uh, Lorian Revealed gives you additional pseudo-fetched lands for your black sources. Sure. Like, this is not a four-color deck. It's written as four-color Lorian Ring Control. It's not. It's blue-white XX Lorian Ring Control. Yeah. And... And anything this is less the than style that of deck already. I could never. I was talking to my buddy Dave the other day. I could never play the style of deck in Legacy. I've tried to play Miracles, especially when Miracles was the new, wasn't the new, was the hot deck to play. I've yep. played it a couple times and it's just, it's absolutely not my style. I hate to be the person answering questions. I'd rather be asking them, constantly asking them. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, a deck like this it is one, it's just so much work for me. To be like, okay, what am I going to see at my LGS this week? Tweak here, tweak there. And that's what you do, obviously. But, you know, I like to just be like, okay, I've got my eight cast list or I've got my death shadow list. Tweak a card here or there because I'm feeling it. Not because I have to really think about like what I saw last week or like what the trends are in the format. To me, like a deck like this is, is, it's cool. But I do not want to have to decide if Stern Scolding is the card I want to be playing right now in my so control can, deck, you know? I can answer I can answer that question for you. It's not the card that you want to be it's playing not. in your control yeah, deck. Well, it, but, and, but, but you had to learn that because you played it, you know? I, I, I did. I did. I, I, I put it through <laughs> the testing and it's, it goes back to the same thing of that the, the discussion about like having to be able to play through development. Your, yeah. your uh, conditional one mana um, counter magic cards, if they don't have a way to both interact with your opponent to stop what they're doing. But like, because you need to work through development, the reason that's like spell pierce still finds its way into a couple of decks is because spell pierce can be used both reactively and proactively. You can use it to protect your stuff that you're trying to stick through where stern scolding is not going to help you push through your own stuff. And that's a huge difference. It's similar to like spell snare. Like we're not in a counter spell format, right? So like spell snare is not theoretically going to be able to help you push through your shit, but spell pierce can. And that's why spell pierce, spell pierce, I still think gets the nod in reasonable you were spots playing, like the you other were playing uh, what's it called flusterstorm for a while as well playing flusterstorm but like to be fair like flusterstorm was specifically because i was also playing a very heavy snapcaster list yeah snapcaster elevate the power of flusterstorm got, but, it. Um, got it i was also playing flusterstorm like uh experimenting as people were like still figuring stuff out once bowmasters hit thought seas went up like starkly in terms of how much it was showing up so like flusterstorm was more interesting in that environment uh before the ei ban like ei was yeah. everywhere so it's like flusterstorm was very easy to catch those things because they have to play at sorcery speed and you're like great flush to you i don't think that's necessarily where you want to be now particularly because so much of the power level of the format post lotr is in bowmasters and one yeah. ring and then one ring and yeah not it's a device it's in not instance and, and sorcery in specifically yeah it's in permanence yeah i i think that like to, to what you were saying before about how you wouldn't want to be playing this deck i don't think i would either and i'll, I'll close with this thought on control uh-huh. lists part of our 101 series you've done a bunch of those videos anybody who hasn't checked those out yet like check out all those uh, all the lists he's done uh zach has done one on infect we recently did one with doomsday where we referenced eric thank you again for doing that zach has done an eight cast lit uh video and a cephalid breakfast video all those lists are on moxfield so part of that 101 series 
the only deck that I can speak formidably on really is Miracles. And when Zach was saying, hey, Phil, you really need to like write out the script for Miracles as a way to articulate like, okay, well, what makes the deck Miracles as opposed to any of the other decks that would be conceived as control? Blue, red, blue, white, X control, just guy control, four color control. Like what makes, what is the difference between the control list versus the Miracles list? In my mind, the reason why I'm opposed to so many of like the three drop, like the firewalkers between Narset and Teferi, like all that shit just always feels so clunky to me. And it's because my inclination when I'm playing Miracles, the difference between miracles and all of the other control lists is that the control lists focus on the board like they're very much like i want to play more like a prison-ish style deck where my planeswalkers are locking out some amount of the table i'm playing like some supreme verdicts and spot removal and i'm trying to one for one and then go up on these prison pieces and lock you out and then eventually snowball and run away with the game with whatever my win condition of of choices whereas miracles miracles is less focused on it, it has the nod of terminus but it's less focused on what's happening on the board and more focused on what's happening on the top of the libraries like the way that jeskai control and blue white x and four color they are all focused on the table whereas miracles is focused on the libraries and that in my mind is like the very specific difference between like haymaker like knock you out and single punch style control lists that we see in four color pile and four color control with minsk and boo and what we saw with staff uh, of the storyteller list before lord of the rings and miracles which focuses way more on like in my view like mystic sanctuary counterbalance prediction shenanigans with all of that stuff yeah. i play a lot of unexpectedly absent to pair with all of those things like it really wants to control the top of the opponent's library and the top of the the player's library the miracle player library so stuff like portent being able to go on both directions a lot of extra additional cantrips in order to control the card flow of what's on top of your deck when like manipulating the top of your deck as a way to control the table is the the lens that i view miracles through okay and so when i look at something like this miracles in my mind still gets to be a proactive control deck because you can build you you can sit down every game knowing that even if it's not good in the matchup if you don't know in the dark you're still going to be like I want to establish counterbalance. Like the way that I win this game is I establish a counterbalance in some way. And then I pair that with either a Jace the Mind Sculptor or a, a, a way that I'm looping Mystic Sanctuary in some fashion. But like it, it is revolving around counterbalance as the lock piece that, ha- that the opponent has to care about. And then you get to dance around them dancing around your counter your counterbalance as ways to like leverage advantage and then put yourself into a position to win the game. Whereas the, the control decks are slamming a bunch of haymakers and just like good cards on rate, which is different. Like Miracles plays a positional game where four color control or or just guy control the other ones plays a haymaker game that leverages cards that are pound for pound better on raw rate but don't necessarily let you maneuver in tricky positions as fluidly so something like this deck that we're looking at this deck and the reason why i think you you look at it and are like this isn't for me is that if you were to sit down with this deck i couldn't tell you what it wants to do in the first four turns of any given game if you sat down in the dark it would have to just go i need to line up my interaction pieces and hope that that's good enough and then i will slam a the one ring that will that will run away with the game or give me enough time to get to the stage where I have fourth Aerolingus. And it's packing a lot of disruption, a lot of counter magic uh, between two Stern Scolding, two Force Negation, all the, the Force Wills, two Supreme Verdict to close the board. Orcus Bowmasters puts a lot of bodies on the table to like stall the game down a little bit so you can get to the one ring point portion of the game. Lorian Revealed is supposed to ensure that you hit your land drops all the way up on a 20 plus four split. So like it looks really good. Assuming that the interaction is able to line up an exchange, the one ring is powerful enough that it should be able to close the door. 
But at the same time, like going in thinking, okay, I just need to line up my answers and stick a one ring. Lining up your answers, just skipping over that idea, the format is too wide to assume that your answers will just get to line up in a way that your opponent doesn't get to just maneuver around you. And I think that not having that proactive game to even as a control deck, like if you if you look at like the, the Teferi Narsec style control decks, they're like, I want to go one, two punch, one, two punch, and then slam one of these walkers and like blank a bunch of your cards and then snowball from there. But like those decks, on like three Narset or four Narset, four Teferi, plus some number of additional Planeswalkers on top of that. Like they are really, really, really dense at the three drop slot because they're like, my first two turns are literally exchanging whatever cardboard I can exchange and then slamming a three drop. That's how I win the game. This one on only three one rings, it looks way more anemic to me. It puts a lot of pressure on Bowmasters as a proactive piece of cardboard, get you through that development to get to the stages where you can play the one ring. Problem with that though, is that you're a very heavy basic land deck that in order to play the Bowmasters, you have to expose your underground seed. And if you expose your underground seat and then get wasted, it's going to set you back to getting to your plan. So it just feels like it's a bunch of control cards that are powerful enough to score wins, but not necessarily a cohesively focused idea of what it wants to do sitting down at the table. I, I think that that's where you and I both have pull away. There's a when trepidation. We, when we look, yeah, yeah. There's course. a trepidation looking at this list. And I think it, it revolves around that idea where you're like, you, you're looking at the deck list going, what am I supposed to do? What am I trying to do? Yeah. And I don't know if this deck knows. Maybe well, it does. Maybe the pilot has put in a bunch of reps and, and would be able to tell. At the same time, like, I agree with you. This is not the kind of control deck that I would want to build. After that that explanation, I think we're all very much looking forward to you doing the Miracles 101 because there's obviously a lot to share. I, I think it's just because since Miracles is not a tier deck in like remotely close to any part of the like actual tier that you would consider like a, as a deck that you have to respect in any meaningful way if you were to go to a tournament, it's not and you shouldn't. But the, the the difference between like miracles as an archetype and control as an archetype being co-opted as like pseudo the same thing, particularly because some control like four color pile lists play like one or two terminus as like their sweeper of choice because they'll play like one or two mystic sanctuary and like that interaction is pro- cool. I think like that's taking some miracle technology and co-opting it into a deck that is not miracles archetype but it is not (laughs) meant to maximize that it's just a tool that it's giving itself access to it will find itself in positions where the uh, terminus is uh, clunking up their hand or the mystic sanctuary isn't maximized because their mana base isn't uh, optimized to ensure that it hits its maximum potential whereas miracles is focused really really hard on that to the point where it's actually making concessions in terms of raw power level to make those sort of uh, synergies happen this is a nice deck to like show the example of the differences between those two kinds of archetypes because Miracles is really in its own lane versus the control shells that we know at post-War of the Spark that gave us all of these really, really powerful snowball-y planeswalkers that sort of created a new prison control-y style archetype on its own but then there wasn't really a delineation between the two archetypes because Miracles sort of fell off the mast post top ban and it's like never really established itself after that. They should be two distinct archetypes in the way that Acast and Painter are different archetypes. Even though they use a lot of similar technology, the way that they play the game out is very different. If you sit down with Acast Painter versus Acast like Psy strategy that's not playing a combo finish, the way that you navigate those games are going to be very different. And that's very similar to how you would navigate with a four color pile list versus a Miracles list. To wrap up, the One Ring is really powerful. Powerful. It's definitely a legacy player. I think that it's a much bigger player in modern because modern doesn't have the tools that we have in legacy and the yeah. tools that we have in legacy. I actually think are on power level with one ring. And in some cases like Minsk and Boo pound for pound better than one ring. And so that regard, the one rings life uh, time in modern is 
you know, going to be short-lived till the end of the year and then potentially clip a ban after that. I don't think the one ring is going to go anywhere in legacy. I think it's yeah. just, you know, another part of the format and we'll have more, access to more people from, from modern can flash into uh to legacy after that, yeah. that gets banned. Right. And that, that, that would be sweet, right? Like if, if one ring gets banned and then people spend all their money on acquiring one rings and then want to use that to just get into the format. A lot of these decks that like are Let's playing the one ring, aren't necessarily like in the really expensive area of yeah. the the format. Like I mean what they, the they, painter deck was like the the painter deck's under two thousand dollars, you know? The the painter deck's on no duels, four color list that we're looking at. Like it is four color that's playing two underground sea, two tundra and two volcanic island, but like you could very easily get away with not playing one of either of the splashes and just do something different. Like there's a lot of flexibility with a list like this. Primarily on basics you could probably yeah. get away with like a, or you a, could a pair play, of duels uh, or a trio of sunken, duels. Sunken hollow or something like that. Until you until you I mean, can afford yeah, a underground sea, you know. Yeah, I, you can I can't get it with Lorian that, revealed, but, you know. I mean, we were looking at like the mono blacklist, like between rings and shieldreds. Like those are two relatively new cards. The the stuff around the rest of the mono block shell is not expensive. Like ancient tombs just got reprinted. Not all of those decks are playing city of traders if they're playing any of city of traders. So like the ancient tombs won't really set you back in the same way that duels will. And if you already have the one rings and you know you had some number of shieldreds as maybe additional world players, like that's an easy deck to get into. One ring I don't think is going any where in legacy so if players want to play the one ring they'll have a format to do it in yeah uh if that isn't modern going long term so it's the it's not the last time we've seen lord of the rings you know controlling tables uh that does it for us this week everybody thank you so much all right have a good one everyone what up it's force of philip on the track yo there's a new queen in this game she go by the name Exactly. Miracle trigger on the stack and casting it. Just like time St. Catherine's happening. Five, 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 fling, think of flashing in. Trying the truth, we both voracious. Oops, my B, I meant voracious. Honestly, my deck's predacious. My miracles are so salacious. Get your heart in public, ostentatious. Four decay, that's Warhammer. In the church of force of fill, they clamor for his necklace. Cause they're so enamored. Cause it mashes like the Brits of bangers. I correctly cast predictor plan to kind of balance all your tricks you jam. Determine this, your boy, your lands are stranded. I'll throw your face and then I'll snap a candid. Presidium, protective. That's St. Catherine's flavor feature Shuffle six cards right underneath her She's Ethereum, I'm Tez the Seeker I'm Botticelli, she's Primavera I'm Manet, she's Farley Bajera I'm Renoir, she's Grenoble I'm Matisse, she's Bernal de Vivre I'm Boya, she's Tormachia I'm Van Gogh, she's Mona Lisa I'm Rembrandt, she's the Thandabera I'm Dukes on Twitch, she's the Pain Slayer Warhammer, those were art bars Like an artist, I draw cards Illustrator, I'm illustrious I'm a writer, here's a plot twist Miracle St. Catherine Like a javelin to the abdomen And the top She's a deadly sin, she'll string you out like a violin She's sticky like a goblin on the battlefield She's residing in, no denying it or defying it Time to resign the game and sign the slip She'll beat you down with a cape and shield She'll steal your life and then make you feel So sad and lonely and so defeated You'll beg for mercy, wish you'd concede it But you had your chance, that's in the past This game was over when it came to pass Your fate was sealed right from the start When I miracle this work of art Miracle St. Catherine By design she's so sublime Turning water into wine She overhauled the archetype. Haters try to deny the hype, but Triumph shrugs it off like she's kryptonite. And you're Superman with your stupid plan. She'll make you resign like you're Vince McMahon. She'll make you tap with a sharpshooter. Best the worst, best there is. While you're a loser, rock bottom you. 
straight through the basement She'll stone cold stun you to your grave Since she's MTG's new undertaker Tombstone you, that's a neck breaker Trying the truth is an understatement She saw the flare, it's second nature She's Triple H, she's taking over She's Dean Malenko with the four-leaf clover She's bold, weird, intimidator And you're a coward who can't block her either She's future sight, unprecedented You can call her Garrett cause she's relentless She'll break your teeth, send you to the dentist You're a partisan, she's an independent A triumph is a funeral A procession so beautiful A lingo's a little unusual But I'll still outplay you inscrutable Magic, the gathering is not magic St. Catherine, the red zone's a labyrinth For your creatures, inadequate Miracle St. Catherine, like a javelin To the abdomen and the tops of them She's a deadly sin, she'll string you out like a violin She's sticky like a goblin On the battlefield, she's residing in No denying it or defying it Time to resign the game and sign the slip She'll beat you down with a cape and shield She'll steal your life and then make you feel So sad and lonely and so defeated You'll beg for mercy, wish you'd conceded But you had your chance, that's in the past This game was over when it came to pass Your fate was sealed right from the start When I miracle this work of art Let's go.